Recording episode 15. This is Brad Weston back here again tonight with Neil Johnstone. Have our special guest tonight, Jenny Carr, and her bodyguard, I guess. He came in. <laughs> Josh Rubel. He so, had to come in and check the place out, man, make sure that it wasn't yeah. what's going on. Looked, he, he was, I wonder why you looked around all the corners and went to the bathroom. That was crazy. Oh, so hey, got I had, like, to, had to take care of my girl. What can I say? <laughs> got here 20 minutes early. Sent her text. Everything looks all right. Come on, Jenny. Yeah. Hey. Is this episode 15 already? It is, episode 15. Wow. Yeah. Man. So uh, go ahead and get us going here, Neil. All right. Tonight, bourbon of the night, Stonehammer. I, I know nothing about it, but what I do know is what I just read on the back. <laughs> you have to read that. Here we go. You need Jenny's glasses? I actually don't. I just need a little bit of light. All right. Here we go. Uh, it was named after... Governor of Kentucky, Thomas Medcalf, actually, who had the nickname Old Stone Hammer. He uh, was a stonemason before he entered politics, and this was actually just uh, in honor of Thomas Medcalf's dogged determination and a job well done. We proudly offer smooth, satisfying Stone Hammer bourbon. I've never heard of Thomas Medcalf. I haven't either, but now I've heard of Stone Hammer bourbon and... Ah, there we go. My favorite part. My second favorite part. <laughs> so Stonehammer, I looked it up. Clear Springs. What's it say on the back, Neil? Bottled by the Clear Springs Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. So get this. It was owned by Jim Beam, and you'll never guess who bought it. Buffalo Trace. Buffalo Trace. Are you kidding me? They own every freaking bourbon out there now. I love it. Oh, dude, so, are you... What kind of challenge is this? Here, let me tell you my mark on this glass. Hold on, let me look. Let me see if I can find it. It's not the B. You don't go that far. No, it's, it's like it's like three quarters of the a way. A quarter inch below the B. He's particular. Wow, see specific. This, these glasses, I know the bottom of the J. Okay. These. Hey, you know it's my measuring device, right? Yep. I think. No, that's not quite right. And don't worry, Josh. I'm not that bad, really. No. Just about a pour. Well, it makes sense because you do know exactly how much you've had. So if you've had, you know, two of them, you know, all right, I've had two legit drinks and I should not drive now. <laughs> okay, Jenny, so thanks for joining us. Thanks for having We're me. We're glad we could have you in here. Glad to be here. So we opened up with my own backyard. We're not going to talk about it yet, though. Just take us back and talk to us about your first memories of music. When you knew in your life music was going to be important to you. Now that could that could actually be two different stories because I think my parents knew long before I did. If that makes any sense, they used to push me quite a bit when I was little. Like I remember singing, standing on the kitchen table with the old '70s chandeliers hanging down, and I had the chandeliers singing, "I'm not Lisa, 
<laughs> it seemed like everywhere we went, Mom and everybody was always trying to get me to sing that for everybody, but I had no interest whatsoever. My dad sat. Matter of fact, I grew up right here where we're at. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time up here at the top of the hill. And, uh, uh, is that right? No. Yeah. I had no clue. Yep, and my dad played uh, what I used to call drunken guitar because they, they, it was between six of them. I think they knew two chords. And uh, it was like any song they had ever heard their entire lives was in G. <laughs> and all night long, you know. The Did they have a capo? That's what I'm saying. No. I've learned where, depending on where you put that capo, no. I think every song could yeah. be in G. Yeah. This was so long ago, I'm not sure they had capos. Actually, no, they had the, do you remember the old type that used to screw like the on that really, back? really good ones. You know, yeah. people just still have one of those things now. Really? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, they They're really the work. I bet yeah. my dad's probably still got one like in the top of the closet up there. <gasps> Super cool. Awesome. Now now I know. Nostalgic and useful. Mechanical. That's the word for it. They're so mechanical, they're, they're awesome. Yeah, no spring-loaded. No. Yeah, but, yeah. but anyway, I, that's <laughs> kind of how I grew up, but I had no interest in music. My dad got me a guitar for my sixth birthday, and I was mad. I was mad as fire because I, I wanted a mini bike. <laughs> um, he kept the guitar, and I, I think he still has that same guitar. But I didn't really take a, an interest in music until... Probably my senior year in high school, I bought on a whim somebody that had the lead in our little Broadway production was sick. They asked me to stand in, and the next thing I knew, I had it. And then I started, that was about the age when karaoke first started. <laughs> so what like, was the show? Um, it was Cats. You were the lead, huh? Uh, yeah, <laughs> for Big that time. particular section, yeah. So where did, where did you go to school? Bullet Central High School. Was it the uh, performance aspect of that that got you really hooked? I or think so. You knew that was it. I've always had an interest in theater, but somehow mm -hmm. or another, I fell into bars. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how that happened, but there is more work and more consistent work. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, hey, yeah. let's look at the bright yeah, side. You probably make a double of the money than you would if you were right. a theater major these and days. And it's fun. And you don't get yeah. tips at the theater, really. That's true. So, if you hey. do, it's generally like. Don't hold your hands like that. <laughs> it's usually on a note. <laughs> hold yeah. on, I never got any tips with playing at bars. Did you have a bucket? That's what it was. You didn't <laughs> you know to put the bucket. Yeah. Got to have a tip bucket. I guess we should have, yeah. Josh, you got to quit talking so much over there, man. You're really uh, disrupting things. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just enjoying that's, the bourbon. That's the bodyguard. <laughs> so you got a guitar at six, but you never played it? Never mm -hmm. took lessons or no, anything? No, I didn't. Until... I actually didn't pick up a guitar until I was about 19. So you had the had the guitar, but zero interest. You never took a lesson, never did anything. Just kind of get that spike gift out of my face. <laughs> Pretty much. Did you, did your dad bang around on it since it was there? Yep. Awesome. I, I think he still has it. That's yeah. pretty cool. So he still played that one, or does he have other ones? No, he has a um, a '60s model Alvarez that he plays Ooh. that he won't let me have. Ooh. Yeah, and it's a twelve string. Ooh. Yeah. He won't let me have it. <laughs> That's a big sound. I think he knows three chords now, though. Does he? Did he finally yeah. learn another one? Yeah. And he now does he... have a capo. He doesn't know how to use it. As long it. as it's C and D, he's okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'll tell you what. He can play a lot of songs with those three chords. Yes, you can. Yeah. yeah. So you did no music from six until Cats and stumbled into that row. And then, then what happened? I moved to Nashville. Like, right after high school... I went to college at UofL. I cheered at UofL for a while, and I ended up going to Sullivan for the College of Business. But I didn't do that until after I took about a two-and-a-half-year stint in Nashville. I learned a lot about the business, made some friends that I'm I'm still good friends with now that uh, made it a whole lot further than I did in the business, and I'm 
blessed to still know them and that they still claim to know me. <laughs> but yeah, I learned a lot about the business, came back here and put my first group together and we just never stopped. I went for an audition on a Saturday. It was the, um, I turned 21 on a Tuesday. That sounds like a song. I turned 21 <laughs> on a Tuesday. Um, anyways, I turned 21 on a Tuesday and I went for an audition on Saturday and we literally booked a gig a couple of weeks later. Ended up rolling for 16 years. So what years are we talking about here? What year did this all start? 1994. Okay, you've been at it for a while. I moved to Nashville in 92. Did you move as a writer or a performer more? I didn't know what I was going for. That's why I think I kind of fell into the business side of it and, you know, learned a whole lot about booking and just how things worked on, you know, with the labels on Music Row. Of course, we're still talking a whole you know, talking 30 years ago, so it's a different world now even. But um, learned the ins and outs of how things worked within the city and played the live circuit a little bit. I worked at Hardee's. Hey, got to pay the rent. The biscuits and gravy was good. I had good breakfast. Were you writing at all at this point? Absolutely. Even when you weren't into music as a kid, did you ever write poetry or write just a, a diary or keep any type of dialogue to get your frustrations and emotions out on page? I've always kind of been into writing. I yeah. used to write a lot of short stories and things like that, and I always loved when we did poems and things in English and stuff in high school. And kind of come natural, and a little I, bit easy. just always kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. It's always been a, a neat way of expression. I think I enjoy writing as much as I do performing live, except I get in some really long-term slumps every once in a while. Do you remember your first song you wrote? Yeah, it had something to do with a teddy bear. I just remember that. I don't. I think Mom's got it somewhere. So it was not one you recorded. No, and it was more of a poem that I just kind of started humming stuff. If you know what I mean, I didn't really at that time. I had no real interest in singing. I, my best friend was the singer of the group. She was the one that was going to go on and be a superstar. I was going to be a professional cheerleader. So, so how does songwriting work for you? You usually have an idea, start with lyrics, start with music, or... No, just, sometimes I wish I had some sort of a pattern, because yeah. I'd be able to tap into it a little more regularly, but no, it just happens sometimes. I don't know. Sometimes it could be a note. Sometimes it could be something somebody says, something I see. Um, Turn 21 on a Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. Something see, like that. That's going to be it's the like, next oh, song we hear, yeah. I seen the head go up when she said it. It's like, oh... Well, no, no, no. When she gets right. that one written, we'll uh, come over here and record it. There you okay. go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, not to barge in on the story, but big breaking news at Top Hill Recording Studio and Top Hill Recording Podcast. The setup is complete, man. Yes, it is. It's complete. I need to do some applause. <laughs> that's, 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 it's a big deal. It's There's still you, some th little things I want, but yeah. that, that'll always be the case, right? Always. When I came down here in October and November, I walked through this door. There was a, a desk here. This wall wasn't here. And there was carpet down. And there was a, it was a, a bedroom. It was a bedroom. Converted and, into an office. And there was this desk in the corner with that laptop and maybe a screen. And then this weird tent thing with blankets <laughs> all over it. And I'm like, what the hell is going on in this room? Is now, this when you say tent thing, are you talking about like a pop-up canopy type deal? A pop-up canopy frame with moving blankets surrounding it that was the that was the iso booth okay i was like what were you so doing we in this room <laughs> we recorded a song with a interface about this size it was a two six, channel right six inch by six inch two channel yeah and we took a pop-up tent frame and took the tent off totally encased it in moving blankets <laughs> and that's that was our recording booth and for what it was we're like man this sounds good and now 
he finally, for the first time, said yesterday, I think, uh, I think I might re-record those drums. <laughs> and you guys are the first to kind of get in here and be able to see what the vision looked like because it really started from a, an idea. He wrote a song years ago and decided he wanted to record it. And all of a sudden he got just immersed in the recording process and engineer and, and, and building this room and specs on sound and capture and everything that bounces. I mean, it's just, for me... It's awesome, man. So congratulations. I'm proud of you. I think it's amazing walking in this room now, looking around going, holy crap. That was like five or six months ago. So awesome. Jenny, are you into the recording aspect of things or? Not really. Okay. You show up and sing, huh? Yeah. I just get my part covered. (laughs) (laughs) I I want to go back to Nashville again for a second. You learned a lot of the ins and outs of the business and booking, and, and I'm sure that carried over to once you got here, especially once you put your band together and you all were in the groove. Did you play on, you know, uh, Broadway? Is it Broadway? I played all up and down through Broadway and Second Avenue. So was that just amazing and a, a killer experience, or was it at the end of the day, hey, that's a feather in my cap, but it ain't all it's cracked up to be? It's much of the latter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, It's tough down there. It seems to be a um, very uh, shark-infested sure you, waters. You, you know, you have it's it's like anywhere though. You have your good days, and you you know go back home feeling like, okay, I made a I made a step forward today. Yeah. And then you have those days where you're like, okay, I got stepped on about eight thousand times today. <laughs> but you know, um, it's all part of. I don't want to say it's part of the game, but it is. It's part of the journey. It's part of um, all that falls into the type of music that you end up choosing ultimately, and the way you write. You know, Nashville's a. It's funny that we're talking about it since I do have a song on the album. It's called Cashville. It really it. talks about how Nashville is not all it's cracked up to be. You know, everybody goes there with these big, bright, sparkly, glittery unicorn dreams, and it's just not like that at all. It's cutthroat, it's hard, and it's dirty. Did you record during that time also? I did. I was with a, a little independent company. Everybody was like, oh, you don't want to work with them. You don't want to do this. You know, don't don't mess with them and all that. I ended up working with these guys for about five years total, going back and forth. And I learned everything that I know pretty much about being in the studio from that. When we went in to actually cut that first record with the label and everything, a lot of that stuff was done in one take because I was just so comfortable after spending that amount of time learning to do harmony vocals and, you know, all kinds of different stuff in the studio. So I definitely got my time's worth out of them. I'm sure they would say the same, too. I mean, they would probably... I don't know about that. Well, I mean, that's that's part of the process he's getting ready to go through is getting people in to figure out the sounds and the rooms and where at and this and that and different type of vocal styles. So different microphones. It's a Mm -hmm. crazy process to learn. So I'm sure that if they were doing that, too, they as much time as you can spend doing it, the better. Yeah. They didn't actually have a studio of their own, so they contracted through a lot of other different studios, and they would even get, like, we went in, like, at 1 o'clock in the morning to record just to get into this really nice studio that was owned by a local label. So Mm. I got to go to a lot of different places. I recorded in a bedroom closet. It really doesn't matter what your studio is. It's it's all about how you learn how to use the equipment that you have. Yeah, well, and Phil... uh talked about that a little bit you know mm-hmm. a lot of that is due to performance too if you can perform on a, a crappy mic if you're a great performer it doesn't really matter you know if you're good you're good and it comes through 
And th- there are some singers that, that really do have the ability to, da- to adapt their vocals for the atmosphere that they're in and still get a good, consistent, yeah. almost studio-like sound out of a straight vocal, if you yeah. know what I mean. There are some singers that are able to do that, and there are some that are totally not. You know what I learned, I guess, a couple of days ago? I was just reading up on microphones. I've been, I hope my wife's not listening to this. I was looking at microphones because like, man, I really, really like these microphones. So, But then I learned Michael Jackson... <laughs> Recorded almost all his vocal tracks with the SM57. The whole Thriller, didn't he? I mean, like uh, SM58 or 57, no, 57. 57. Yeah, almost everything with the 57. I was like, man, that is insane. I think Billy Jean was definitely on the 57, but it was cool. I was like, he's pretty good vocalist, though. Well, I just think that yeah, he he probably could pull off. Josh, that's what we're doing wrong on Billy Jean. We need to do it that's on the exactly 57. Right. Oh. Change out the 58. Yes. <laughs> So what was the first song you recorded with uh, when you were in Nashville there? Are you talking like years ago or like album ones? Yeah, yeah, when you were talking about with the independent. The very first song I ever did uh, in the studio period was um, we kind of re-recorded a cover of Lee Greenwood's Holding a Good Hand. It's a very old, very, very country song. And I can't remember, we were doing it for, he was doing it for some sort of a project and uh, like a compilation CD. I got two questions. Lee Greenwood is proud to be an American, right? Yes. Yeah. Second question is, he has more songs than that? I thought that was the only <laughs> song he ever recorded. What, what's going on here? I'm learning all kinds of stuff today. Trust me, I had to learn the words to it. So. <laughs> but I do, I do still have some old um, things that I recorded there. Of course, they're on cassette. There was a, a song called Too Close to an Old Flame that was really, actually, now that I think about that, we should probably pull that one back out of the hat because I actually have the rights to it. So There you go. I might have to pull that one back out. Game. Do you ever have stuff you want to re-record from back then? Or rework in general? I don't know. I sometimes sometimes yes. I don't I don't know that enough time has passed mm-hmm. if you know what I mean or enough life has passed that I care. Yeah. There's something about there is something about revisiting it because life changes, and I think your inflection changes, and the places that you are and how you take things change as you go throughout life. I think it's important to continually revisit them and think yeah. about, but it's also good to keep that original version because the people that heard it then, it takes them back every time they hear it. If you yeah. know, it's that's why music's sure. so timeless, though. It's it's just a continuous, endless journey. I was having a uh, conversation. I think it was actually with my wife earlier today, talking about. You know, you hear something, and it takes you back to a certain place in time in your, in your life. It's like um, Dave Matthews. I can always remember I hear one certain song, and I always think of me and my buddy changing out uh, a stereo in my old truck. And God, I mean, that was, I think I was like 17. But every time that song comes on, it takes it, it takes you back. It is weird. It's a time travel. Music That's what is I was a time say, travel. They say that time travel isn't possible, but it absolutely is <laughs> in our world. Yeah, with that, it is. Yeah. Falling in I Love With You by uh, Lonnie Mack. If I ever hear that song ever, yeah, I'm at a bonfire at the lake with Jeff. Jeff's singing that song, and it's better than the version I'm listening to currently. But, I mean, it's a, there will never be a time in my life I don't listen to that song and end up in that spot in my head at that mm-hmm. time, yeah, ever. Absolutely. Jenny, were you always country from the start? Is that what you always wanted to do? Yeah, I was brought up in the time where uh, you got threatened every time you said, Mom, can we put it on LRS? <laughs> <laughs> when you grow up and you have kids, you can argue with them about what station your radio's on. Right now, it's staying here. And it was always WAMZ. And it's always. still there. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> it's still there. 
<laughs> Speaking of Michael Jackson, you had to have the Thriller set or Thriller album. I did not. My cousin did. I Honestly, and if we can be totally honest, I grew up in a household where I was not allowed to. I was not allowed to listen to, to just country. Else. Yeah, was it okay. uh, church uh, based? No, or just <laughs> Lord, no. <laughs> in our house, remember it was two chords in the truth. <laughs> oh, man, I couldn't imagine. My first concert was Michael Jackson. And I'll never forget it. Maybe the first CD. We no. I think the first CD we ever. I remember mom and dad bought uh, a CD player. Dad went nuts one day and bought. A crazy system. I mean, just ridiculous. We got the first CD player, and we had Michael Jackson Bad. There was another one that I can't remember. And then the the random of all randoms was Twisted Sister. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, wow. I'm looking at D. Schneider, dude. I'm like seven or eight going, what? I can't even think of the Twisted Sister song. Wasn't that a, uh, we're not going to take yep, it? Yep, that's yeah. it. Oh, and it was that album. It was that album. It was yes. awesome. And there was another uh, banger of a song on it, too, but there was a couple. But I remember I just the video. Remember, he, like, stood up and spun real fast. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, I just remember, what? The randomness is going on here. <laughs> so who were the big country artists you listened to? Reba McIntyre. I do love me some Reba McIntyre. You know when I started loving Reba McIntyre? When the show Reba came out. Did you really? Yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan. And then Reba came out and I was like, I love Reba McIntyre. She was just so good on that show. <laughs> I'm not a huge TV watcher. I mean, I've I've always thought she was just so multi-talented because, yeah. you know, all of her videos were like mini movies, you know. Yeah. They, they weren't just yeah. music videos. They were like lengthy five, six-minute videos and things. So. Told the story. Absolutely. I just didn't like watching her sing. Like Celine Dion, I could listen to you. I just don't want to watch you sing. They do <laughs> something funny with their mouth or something. I get you on that. Will you edit that out in case they ever listen? No, just... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We'll never get Reba on the podcast. <laughs> My bad. Never My say bad, never. Bro. My bad, bro. Did not mean to... <laughs> insult future guests. So what was your answer to that before Neil answered for you? <laughs> I'm old school, so I love me some Loretta Lynn, Tammy Wynette, Conway mm -hmm. Twitty. I'm Cole super old Miner's daughter. Yes. Patsy okay. Klein. Patsy's my favorite. Dolly Parton? I do love some Dolly. We were just working on Jolene the other yes, night. Yes, we were. I wonder how many times that song has been redone. I can't imagine. Six. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Times well, how many? hundred? I, I was just thinking how right my dad was yesterday when he said, you got to quit asking questions and answering the questions and telling the stories before the stories and then telling them to tell the stories. Like, Man, he's right again. My dad is right again. Yeah, your dad is pretty awesome. He's pretty awesome. And he's right again. Sorry, dad. Sorry, Jenny. That's funny. <laughs> how about some male country artist? Johnny Cash? Absolutely. Willie? Absolutely. Waylon? Yep. Hank Williams Jr.? Yes. Have you ever seen Hank Williams Jr. in concert? Um, I went one time and he fell off the stool drunk. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So you saw a normal show. I did. Well, was that before <laughs> or after he performed? That, oh, yeah, during. Oh, my. <laughs> song three. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think he made it through one song. I really don't. Are you kidding? That's terrible. And this was at Freedom Hall. Whoa. So then what happened? They played this album? I can't remember. <laughs> I think if I if I remember correctly, the opening band come back out. 
They went, I can't. Did they sober him up and get him back out there? I don't think we stayed because if I'm not mistaken, beer got spilt on my mom and she was really pissed. Ah, I don't do it. What a and waste then, you know, and beer. then he fell off the stool. That was it. It was we're like, this is Grab up the kids. We're done with this place. <laughs> we're never watching him again. As a matter of fact, you can't listen to him in our house anymore. <laughs> like, Jimmy, get your beer. We're leaving. <laughs> He's banned. So when did you get into recording your full albums? Well, you have two albums? I do. The first album was released in 2012, which is kind of funny. It took nearly 20 years to get some of them out. One of the very first songs that I wrote, I didn't even perform it live for 18 years. So we skipped a lot of years in there. So, well, we were we were running and like touring. I mean, we were playing in a, like a five state area continually. I, I get aggravated at myself over it because I feel like we were out on the road and I was writing a lot of music and we never took the time to to stop and record anything. So I always say that that first record was the record I had to make, if you know what I mean. You had to get it out yeah. of the way. It was 20 years worth of music All that right. we never, so you, never put we down. We definitely have to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got to stop all the presses and talk about your touring days. I mean, so yeah. you came straight out of Nashville. You Was this while you were in Nashville, or did you move back and then all this I touring. moved back and then everything. This is when you got your band and mm-hmm. then started going. So you lived in Nashville, then went to business school, and mm-hmm. then went back to Nashville. When I went back to Nashville, I still lived here. It was traveling back and forth okay. to Nashville okay. for probably the next 16 years. Oh, wow. A lot of traveling, at least four to five times a month. Tell us about it. A lot, of, a lot of road time. And you know what? I had a little dog, and he traveled with you me. You had a he road dog? You had a true road me. dog. He was my roadie, no absolutely. No doubt. You should he have, what was his name? everywhere with me. Andy. Andy. He's my Andy Rude. Andy. Yeah. Andy the road dog. So was. what was the makeup of this band you had during this time? I didn't actually put the group together. I was... It's a long story, and it, but it all revolves around Fairdale. So um, my my aunt owns a bar and grill, and I was telling you that that was the days when karaoke had first started. Mm-hmm. So, like, not a lot of places had karaoke machines at that time. Well, they got one. It was this new, bright, shiny, high-tech sort of thing. What bar and grill? Oh, dollars. Um, no, <laughs> Rubbies, but all Rubbies. the, it's all the oh, same people. Okay. Yeah, it's like okay. a, a little, little trip, Bambi walk that goes on <laughs> there all, the, all the time. Um, but it's Rubbies over on Southside Drive. Okay. Mm. All those, my Let hand me uncle. ask you a question. What? I have heard that Rubbies has some of the best food in the world. Is that true? Dude, I've never been. Look at me, man. Check I've never been, Mark. Check Mark. I've heard, my, every time we drive by, by Kim goes, we, I've, we got to go there. We got to go there. You absolutely have to go get their wings. Okay. If you do nothing else, you got to get their wings. I've never so been. there's Neil, there's two things that you have to buy. Okay. You have to have the smoked wings okay. and they are it's an insult to even dip them in any dressing yeah, because yeah. I mean it is so they're good. Amazing. Wow. I mean it's just like they're amazing. There's no word for it. They're that good. Okay. And then the chicken herb sandwich. Mm-hmm. And uh it's what just kind a, of herb? It's just a. <laughs> I think it's like flour. Okay. <laughs> but oh my gosh, I had one last Wednesday, and you talk about delicious. I had it on my way home from, from there. From, had, from there. Yeah. So I had wings while I was there, and then I got a chicken go sandwich to go <laughs> on my way said, home. I had it on my way from there. <laughs> Didn't make it home. No, it didn't. And truth be told, I was actually going to give some to my wife, but it never made it. It doesn't make it home, does it? I don't it? even think Sorry, it made it to the bridge. <laughs> so we, we play there the first Wednesday of every month. So okay. we get our regular fix of Rubbies. All right, well, I know when we're going to go to Rubbies and have, yes. have our first meal. Absolutely. You want to go? The first what of every month? The first Wednesday, Wednesday. Okay, yeah. of every month. 
get the wings wife. and a lemon and herb to go. Well, I was we were performing. I mean, you can stay there and eat it while you're there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can you can. It's okay. <laughs> chicken and chicken and what was it? It's chicken a chicken and, herb. Chicken, chicken, chicken okay. herb sandwich. Okay. Is it herb or Irv? Irv. It's named after Irv. Oh, Irv. I thought you said Irv. I did. (laughs) Well, it does have herbs. Okay. Chicken Irv. Chicken Irv. Irv. I guess I should have known that that's my grandpa's name. Is it really? It is. You need to read the menu. Uh, Well, I just go on recommendation. (laughs) Yeah. So, Josh, you live in Indiana? I do. I live out in uh, Greenville area, so about... About 20 minutes on the other side of the bridge. Did you eat that sandwich before you got to the bridge because you were afraid you'd have to pay a toll for it? Uh, <laughs> I won the Sherman Mittens. We so. don't go across no, that bridge. Okay. No, I ate the whole sandwich actually before I think I hit the interstate. <laughs> Truth be told. <laughs> it was just I was afraid to put it down and it spill and I come to a stop sign or something. And it's that good. And it falls out of my plate. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, tell, you were talking something about... Uh, Getting started in that 16 year span, and we got on Rubby's food. Sorry. Yeah, Rubby's. Th- this was a Rubby's commercial. They have a, a oh, you're talking dash. about karaoke. Oh, that's right. That's karaoke. right. That's yes. right. So, um, the band. So, I was up there one one night, uh, and it was just a night through the week that they had gotten their new karaoke thing. And she was like, My aunt calls. This is when you actually had the phones with the cords that went into the wall. The roto dial? I've seen those yeah, in movies. Yeah, we did have a roto dial. If you were cool, you had that real long cord, you know? Yes. So, you go in your bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, she called and was like, hey, we got this new karaoke machine. You should come up here and sing and try it out. Well, it just so happens that one of her regulars was a guy named Byron Pendleton, and he played in a band around town, and uh, he actually played for Caribou and a couple other pretty good, you know, big-name groups around town. And uh, he's from the PRP area, and uh, like I said, he was a regular there after he got off work. He worked at, uh, was it called Curfee's Paint? downtown i think it was but anyway Works. he would stop he would stop and uh have a beverage on his way home and uh, just so happens that i had been in there and they had heard him talking about me and all this stuff and my aunt was like oh you've you've got to hear my niece and of course byron's like oh, whatever <laughs> i love the eye roll we go. I mean, if, you could, if you could see the eye roll through, the, through your ears <laughs> they could hear the irony <laughs> So he happened to, you know, listen in, and uh, I actually sent him some tapes uh, after a couple of those phone calls on the corded phone, and uh, that's how the uh, original audition got set up. It just so happened at the time, their band, I think it was called Heartwood at the time, um, their lead singer was ready to retire and give it up, and they were looking for somebody, and I... I turned 21 on the Tuesday. Slid right in there, huh? I went right on with it. And And that's who you traveled with? Yeah. Yeah, for how long? Uh, 16 years. Oh, cool. We uh, we played years. our last gig in 2007, I think it was. 2007. Yeah, at the state fair. You were traveling five state region, and who who booked your shows? At the time, it was Byron. He's really who I learned all my actual booking stuff from. You know, when I was in Nashville, I just learned who did what. You know what roles everybody did, but as far as the actual interactions and how to figure out what you want to charge, and you know all that sort of stuff, and how to handle bar owners, and how to handle drunk people, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> how to handle myself drunk. And <laughs> 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 I, I'm not kidding. I, there was a a lot of lessons learned in those 16 years. Well, it was a lot of fun, though. Heck yeah! How many nights a week were you guys playing most of the time? Sometimes four nights a week, you know, and then just like anybody, sometimes one night a week. It just depended on where we were heading and how many places we could hit on the way. And So you were grinding pretty hard at this point. Yeah. yeah. Heck, playing at Colonial Gardens was a grind back then. I mean, 
you played sometimes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and it was just a different world. Were you a full-time musician at this point? Is that no. what you did? So you're nope. still working? I'm still working. At Hardy's eating uh, no. a good breakfast? <laughs> no, I'm just no at that time, I was actually working in medical sales. So, okay. And I just I got lucky enough that I took a position based out of Nashville. Mm -hmm. So I was able to travel back and forth, and I had a reason to be down there. So had plenty of people to hang with and plenty of people to visit and plenty of places to play. So I kind of wrapped two worlds into one for a while and... That's how I, I was able to go back and forth and get paid for it. It had been exhausting. It was. It was. But, you know, I feel like I've done so many things in reverse. Like, you hear all these stories about country artists that started singing in church, and mm -hmm. they get their roots in church, and then they started singing country music. Well, I kind of did it backwards. I sing more in church now than I do in the bars, and um, I did kind of the music business backwards as well. You know, I learned I learned the ins and outs of the underneath and the underground first, and I went to Nashville first and then came back home, and I feel like I did a lot of things first, and one of them is I, I lived a lot of life mm -hmm. when I was young enough to do it yeah. for the past what, 17 years, that's been my full-time job is, is music. Everybody always says that you work your life away and everybody expects you to enjoy your life when you're older and in your retirement. I said, no, I, I did it backwards. <laughs> I lived all my life when I was young and had fun, and now I'm ready to kind of settle down and go to work. <laughs> but I'll never, I'll never quit playing, though. Did you tell us the name of that band, or was that J just Jenny Carr? No, that was Pure South. Pure South. I have yeah. your shirt. Do you really? I do. Wow. Yeah, a, a Pure South shirt? I have a Pure South shirt. That's so how'd that happen? I, as a matter of fact, I had it at the gig on Saturday. I had no idea. And I that didn't was notice you. that? I never pulled it out. It oh, was in my, it, okay. because it was in the, the big it's tub of crap. Where okay. did you get a Pure South shirt? I think it was Kim's, but I liked it so much I stole it. <laughs> but uh, that, that probably come from Jim Porter's. I don't know. She probably at some point booked you. Did you ever yeah. play a Texas Roadhouse bike night? Yeah, absolutely. That's where she, that's where, yeah. yeah, she used to book it. She ran that. She made the Texas Roadhouse bike night. Yeah, the blonde I, I that always she, ran around there. I know she booked through Byron there at the end. Yeah. When Byron was still doing a lot of it. Yeah, so that's where I, we got that shirt. Yeah, that's man, funny. we still rock that shirt. That's one of the best, <laughs> it's one of the best shirts, man. It's like the uh, support Rick Johnstone shirt. It just fits good and it's soft. What's it look me. like? It's uh, uh, like athletic gray and has the Pure South logo on it in maroon. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. So somebody sent me a picture probably about five years ago from the E-Town Walmart. And there was a truck, an old beat-up Chevy truck, in the parking lot with a Pure South license plate on the front no of it. Okay. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. It's awesome. I was like, Somebody's wow, get with the times, it. people. <laughs> <laughs> I can send you a Jenny Carwin. <laughs> You know what else is weird, man, is that we've talked about this big connection in, in Louisville music and how there's so many different players that have played with so many different people and gotten their start. And Caribou has come up on this podcast how many times? Oh, really? Several. episode. I, I bet it's been at least four episodes Caribou's come up. That's funny. They're connected with a lot of people. They really so are. So many. So many people. So it's just insane. You say that and it's like, I look at Brad. I've had a lot Weird. of connections with them and the Wolf Brothers. So um, my mom used to work with uh, Jeff Jarbo's wife, and that's how we kind of knew the Wolf Brothers. So they knew me when I was about 16. But they, they've been around for, gosh, I think they're on 40 years now together. Um, they played the state fair every year, and mm -hmm. we go down and visit them. It's like our, our sets end, and we got just enough time to run down and catch them for, for so just a little bit. So they're a country band? 
No, they are a variety band. They do okay. a little bit of everything. In fact, they play at my son's school. They do a lot of things with elementary schools, trying to get kids interested in music and things. And oh, that's cool. Yeah, they're just good people. They've taught me so much. What brought Pure South to the end? How did that end? <laughs> you know, if, if I really knew all the answers, it probably would have never ended. But, you know, sometimes things just, you get to where you can't really accomplish anymore together. And it's just time to branch off. You've learned all you can learn from each other. and So know. where did you go from there? For a while, I, I hung solo for a while. I tried to, a couple of us tried to hang together for a little bit. And it just, I don't know, it kind of. At that point, it lost its lackluster, if you know what I mean. And it Were you just, doing solo gigs? I was for a couple of years, and then I put Twang Town together. And, uh, we Twang had a, Town? Twang Town. Twang Town. <laughs> yeah, we had a... <laughs> That'd be a cool shirt. We had a... <laughs> that would be a cool shirt. I probably still have some if you'd like a couple. <laughs> I, would, I would like one of those. <laughs> but uh, we had a really good run for about five and a half years or so. And uh, I went back to playing solo for a while and was actually going to retire until I met these guys. Okay, so who's the band now? So it's Josh. Josh, can you say something over there? Hello. <laughs> so Josh's connections are pretty cool in this room right now. So, it is. Yeah, it actually really is. Two yeah. worlds collide, Josh. Yeah. Two worlds collide, my Josh brother. Josh plays bass with you, correct? No, he plays no, bass uh, with Jenny. Keys, keys with you and bass with Jenny. Which is why he probably uh, enjoys playing with Jenny a lot more because <laughs> he actually is playing the bass. Which, well, which, he's just uh, got to carry yeah. more equipment to your shows. That's oh, all yeah. Well, man. And, and, uh, You're not kidding on that. <laughs> I mean, it's like I literally changed every instrument, all, all my bass equipment for for the Jenny Carr project, basically, to where I can carry everything in in one load. Yeah. And, well, with the piano, it's a completely different story. <laughs> so what's your primary instrument? Um, All of them. Here's the gosh, thing. Here's the I thing know, about Josh. See. Saxophone. Yeah. Um, what? You play saxophone? He plays everything. Here's he has the thing. an accordion. I've told you. <laughs> I've told Brad from the beginning. Josh is is probably the most talented person in our band. Absolutely. He does everything, and he does everything well. He's like when Brent talks about being a jack of all trades, master of none. That's. It's not Josh. He's a, a jack of all trades and a master of, of plenty master of those trades. Way. He's just efficient. And great at everything. His harmonies are ridiculous. His voice is unbelievable. Not only the way he plays the bass, the style that he plays it in, and how he everything he does plays guitar very well. Phenomenal keyboard player. Here's your twenty bucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> Saxophone player. Yeah. So what was the first the instrument stupid. you played? The first instrument I played was actually the drums. And oh that, yeah, I forgot that the drums. Was Literally, from whenever I was about three, uh, whenever I was old enough to get uh, butcher knives out of my mom's butcher block, and we had a, um, at the time, we lived up in Maine. I just got scared for a minute. <laughs> well, hey, what you do to your mom, man? Well, actually. <laughs> that's, that's a weird way to describe how tall you are. <laughs> when I got big enough to get butcher knives out of butcher block. Well, it may have involved a stool or something, too. But, no, I mean, I would literally, the, the edge of the kitchen table was all indented on all, all the way around with me playing drums on it. So I started off with that, and then after the butcher block uh, incident, mom bought me an actual small little like first act kid drum the set. Butcher block incident. We need wow. to stop. So are you playing? That uh, might be the, my new band name, by the way. The butcher block incident. That sounds great. That that is is a good band let's name, just bro. say that that those drum sets lasted until I took scissors and tried to use scissors as a drumstick. Oh I thought you were going to say, let's just say I didn't need those toes. No, <laughs> nope. Still got all those. <laughs> um, so I did that. Yeah. 
um, up until I was, I think it was fifth grade, and I wanted to learn how to play the saxophone. And so my mom told me, they're like, well, we'll buy you a saxophone if you take a year of piano lessons first. Prove that, that you can do the this. There's the old piano lessons. Yeah, must well, take piano lessons. <laughs> must yeah. take piano lessons. Well, here's That's the cool everybody. thing is that my mom is a terrific musician. You know, she's very versatile in the piano, um, great at the accordion. And my oh, accordion. Oh yeah, she oh, can play oh, both. I'll tell you a story about she that can play here both later. At the same time. <laughs> Cha-ching. Um, but then, um, and then my biological dad, very efficient in the bass guitar, um, acoustic guitar, great singer, uh, accordion as well. Uh, so the music kind of ran in the family on that side. Um, but so anyway, so way more accordions in your family than most I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've still got it. I still got the accordion. <laughs> and, um, so I took the year of piano lessons in fifth grade and then, you know, they, my parents bought me the saxophone in sixth grade. So I started with that. Uh, we moved up to Indiana whenever I was in seventh grade and my church youth group needed a bass player. And so I wanted, I was like, well, by this time I had fiddled a little bit with, uh, the, with the guitar and it was back in... I think it was 1991, uh, Christmas that year, my parents bought me a J.C. Penney catalog acoustic guitar, which I've still got. It's hanging on the wall. Silvertone? <laughs> uh, serious. Oh, crap. J.C. Penney. No, um, no, Harmony. Harmony. Uh, Harmony's J.C. Penney. So I, I piddled with that a little bit and uh, wanted to pl- learn how to play the bass just to fill the spot and pick that up. And then pretty much that's where we're at today. That's pretty good for a bodyguard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he does that on the side. (laughs) So, okay, so I I do have to insert this. So whenever uh, my wife and I first met, we were dating. I actually took the accordion over to her house. Oh, wow. I probably shouldn't say this, but... And she still married you. That's love. (laughs) just... What did you do, I took the accordion over to her house and played Amazing Grace for her and her mom. And... uh, yeah, she still jokes up with me about that. She's, <laughs> as she should. What do you What do you think she's supposed to do? Hey, I thought it was romantic, and with with my upbringing, that kind of was the way that you went. Oh. <laughs> Did you play it on one knee? No, I had to sit on the couch. <laughs> well, actually, I did. I did play the accordion on one knee. <laughs> Just the accordion was resting on it. <laughs> oh my lord! Have I never pulled that out for you, Neil? What, to... Why with all these sentences, man? <laughs> because I'm asking questions. <laughs> all right. No, you have not pulled that out for me. Number one. Number two, I've seen your music room, and, and you have completely hidden the fact that you've played the accordion because there is no <laughs> That signs. one is not on the wall. Yeah. I mean, you walk in, Brad, you walk in, and, and it looks like your basement condensed. There's There's instruments everywhere and 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 there's these systems and the board and all this stuff and then no accordion it's in the closet do you still own a saxophone i do neil (laughs) my uh you guys were talking you've got to have some sax playing in the johnstone band here's my thing with with josh i want josh to do whatever josh wants to do Sorry, Doug, you're moving to piano. Boom. <laughs> so, so Doug's now a piano player. I just don't know how you're going to play the bass and sax at the same time because you do need to incorporate some sax. Well, it depends on how many notes I need to play on the saxophone. Uh, you One hand for the bass or the other for the sax. Well, obviously, well, we know we only need two notes, right? I'm just saying that you know when he plays with us and we need him to play something other than bass, the lead singer plays bass. That's exactly right. I'm I've just, got some pictures of that. That's pretty awesome. I'm just saying. 
Somebody's got to step up here. Oh, she's talking about, she's calling you out. So you play bass? <laughs> Two notes. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, damn, damn it, I play them good. <laughs> That's no joke. Whatever, man. It works. Yeah, it does. It does. Right, I can play some bass. So did you know Josh before this band you put together? I did not. We uh, we actually met at church. We did? Um, yep. Praise God. Yes. <laughs> Hold on. The one thing we didn't do tonight is that we, oh, we always didn't. do cheers, man. Oh, gosh, cheers, you cheers. guys. Thanks, Neil. Put that right after the. I'm gonna leave it where it is. You know, <laughs> let everybody know I forgot and you picked it. Watching out for me, man. <laughs> so like you're in church and you're like that dude is a kick-ass bass player. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Quite actually. Well, actually, it happened a little different, yeah, I believe. Um, she was um, had her group together, and her bass player wasn't able to attend one of the one of the shows, and uh, who was our sound man at church. And uh, so he recommended that I play this show with her. That was about three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Are you all still friends? <laughs> oh, yeah. He runs sound for him now. <laughs> Actually, he plays the guitar for us now. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, does he? Okay. So your whole band came from church. Everybody but one. All but one. Yeah. And we've been working on it. Here's but, the yeah. funny thing about that. So did ours. Really? Yeah. Spencer's the only guy that didn't come from church. Doug came from church. Aaron and Doug's connection was through church. Yeah. Your connection was through school, but you yeah. also play at church. It's like... Church opens music up to a lot of people. Praise God. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Amen. Why are y'all laughing about that, man? <laughs> it's just when it comes from you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, because his nickname is Jesus, so it's like he's thinking his dad. <laughs> no. So we now have the Jenny Carr band, right? Is that um, where we're at? Sort of. When, when you when you were doing your solo stuff, I'm getting back. So the first album was uh, released in May of 2012, and uh, that's when Twangtown was still playing pretty much, you know, around this region still. We kept going till about, I think we started in 2010, so we stopped the end of 2014. And at that time, I was finishing up the third, I think, third round of radio tours at that time. And there were so many things that I was doing that, it was so much easier to go as either a duo or just a solo. Things with the band just kind of started falling apart, and but it made it kind of easy for me to just continue to transition into doing a few things by myself. And, and not have to ruin relationships. Kinda. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Sometimes we, that's good. We did not break up really on bad terms by any means. Yeah. It was just, again, like I said earlier, we got to the point where we'd done all we could do together and keeping everybody comfortable, and I had things I had to do, and... You know, they're all still playing, and I'm, I'm, we're all good with it. So, so what's the title of the first album? It's just Jenny Carr. Jenny Carr. I got a question about the first album. Self-titled debut album. <laughs> well, and this is important because the first album is always the album where you got your catalog, basically, of all the stuff that you think is worthy enough to be put down. And and, and like you said earlier, this had to be... You had to get this This was out. the album that I had to make. This was all the music that was created during that 16 years that we were out traveling state to state to state, doing things the hard way. Again, I, I never took the time to record anything, and I felt like that was the music that we just, we had to finalize and finally get it on a record. There's there's a finality in that that, ma- that almost makes you move on to the next thing. Yeah. 
it's weird when it comes to first albums. You know, people always look at first albums and they're these great things. And they, they talk about one-hit wonders and people that had this amazing album and the next album's not anything. But it's like, look, you had this 16 years of experience and I'm sure the entire time you're going, guys, we need to record. We got to get this stuff recorded. I, can we take a week to record? We need to save. Because it, it always seems like until that stuff's done, you can't move on. There's something, there's a mental block as an artist and a writer that if there is not a, a definitive moment where this stuff is now done, yep. I, can't, I can't as an artist move on to this next thing. And, Did you feel trapped? You get to that purge moment. You're oh. like, I have to get this out yes. of here. I can't. I've got to let go of it. Got to get it out of here. Like I, almost, absolutely. Is it almost a desperate moment at mm -hmm. that point? Yeah. Just look. And it's literally a flood. Just <laughs> finally just has to get yeah. out there. And then once it's, it's kind of like writing something down, you know, when you think about something and you finally just finally write it down. Mm -hmm. There's that moment of finalization that lets you either release it and then it takes on a whole new life of its own. You mm -hmm. know, it becomes its own object. And, yeah. You know, that's kind of neat to watch, too, though. It it's, is. It's a neat process. It's a tough process. It's a scary process. It's an emotional yeah. process. And I think that's where the fear comes from. Well, it's scary to hear other people's input on you. because it, It's so personal. It's super personal. And, like, literally, people have compared it to standing in front of a crowd naked. Mm -hmm. And that's literally what it is. And It's worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> it's worse than that because it's, it's interior. It, yeah. It's I don't like your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I don't like the way you say your thoughts. Yeah, I don't it's, like it's kind of like your experience sucks. Yeah. You know, so it's, what it, it's what it is. It is. Or your experience is amazing and it moved me and it made me think of things differently. So and you, had, you had a little bit of that. Uh, you had both. some success on that on that uh, yeah. first album, right? Yeah. 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 You don't tour so, that long yeah. without being a successful yeah. artist, yeah, for sure. That first, uh, the song we came in on, that's on the first album, mm -hmm. My Own Backyard, yep. right? Was that one of them that... Um, that was the first video that we did and it kind of sparked some interest and that was the first song that kind of, um, was really put out there. And then the song that actually picked up on the backside of that was famous by now. And that's the one that CMT's Music City Madness got a hold of. Okay. And that's kind of when, when I knew we had to make this record. We had only done like some little home recordings and stuff of the songs to that point. And everything that CMT's Music City Mattis did was all on live video. It was all live performances and all that. So, so what is that? All right, we, we need to stop and talk about that. What is that? CMT's Music City Madness. That's not a little deal. That's no, a big deal. No, it wasn't at the time. And I, I don't think they do it anymore. I think they did it for five seasons, and I was on season three. And quite a few good names came out of it. And, you know, some people got some some pretty decent success out of it. Um, there was no way to really just kind of submit to it. You, you kind of got nominated for it. And somehow or another, my stuff got in there. And then you go through good. this. Mm -hmm. uh, well, whatever. Somebody, <laughs> somebody <laughs> slid it under the rug or something. Whatever. But um, it, was, it was all at the time. You, you know, we're talking 2008. When this happened, 2008 and 2009, it was in the fall of 2008 through the first of the year in 2009. You're, you know, you're talking when a lot of people were first getting on Facebook and social media wasn't really what it is now, you know, 11 years later. But it was all done on online voting and online watches and things. So it was kind of a the first real big, like, online American Idol sort of thing by a big name, you know, video 
music music video corporation. Now, was CMT Music City Madness? Miranda Lambert got broken on one of those. Was that season one of that, or was that a different? That was Nashville Star. But that was. But still CMT's with all... Music City Madness was a spinoff of by that. the same people. Yeah. Which I did the Nashville so, Star thing too. That was yeah. a, a cool experience. So it's it's not a little deal. It's a big deal. It is. Well, again, some people got some really good breaks off of it, mm. and it it helped me. It really propelled me into a different a different realm of music. It helped you get some pretty cool yeah, gigs. And, I, I don't and other I don't think like we that. ever would have hit the national charts if it hadn't been for getting picked up in that little. Was that the song contest. that hit the charts? Um, no, it wasn't. The song that actually hit the charts was "Don't Throw That Dog a Bone," but it had a it had some little back end push as well. I got real lucky through some of those friendships that I had made. All the way back in 1992, when I was, you know, just 19 years old, living in Nashville, is how I got hooked up with this song. It's funny. The guys, um, two guys wrote it. It's um, Bernie Nelson and Frank Myers. Frank Myers wrote "I Swear" for John Michael Montgomery. Mm-hmm. That's actually how him and her, him and Bernie got paired up. And my other friend Bernie Faulkner is friends with with Bernie Nelson and friends of friends of friends of and Bernies. friends. Yeah, I know, two Bernies. It's not it's not often that you get that. We got a lot of Robs and a lot of Bernies. Yes, we do. <laughs> but um, again, a friend of a friend of a friend. This song had been floating around Nashville for a couple years. Another guy yet that I was working with that was um, a big writer for Tracy Lawrence. He wrote alibis for Tracy Lawrence. He's a, He was actually producing me at the time. And he finally just said, you know what? There's a song that's been floating around for a while. He said, I won't, I won't pitch it to you. And, you know, of course, at the time, I was super eager. I'm like, throw it in there, put it in there. What is it? And he said, well, you know, he said, I'll have it for you next week. Okay, whatever. So I come down next week to record Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow. Uh. And he pitched this song to me in the in the vehicle on the way to the studio to record that. And I was like, I have to have it. I have to have it. The rest of it's kind of history. So it had a little back-end push, and it just happened to be on the tail end of the CMT Music City Madness. And otherwise, I don't know that it would have happened. Let's hear it. Don't Throw That Dog a Bone, is that the name of it? Yep. So you recorded the vocals on that in the closet? Yep, in a closet, in a, in a little house on the east side of Nashville that about four musicians were renting together. and Yeah. Really? Was there a light in the closet or was it dark? <laughs> no, there was a light in the closet. <laughs> AC, it was, hot as, it was hot as can be in that closet, wasn't it? It was hot. It was, it was July, too. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Turn off the air conditioner. I can, I can hear it in here. Yeah. Oh, that would be terrible. <laughs> so is that the song that got you named one of the top unknown songwriters to 
No, the that was the song from CMT's Music City Madness. That was famous by now, but this song is the one that hit the Nashville's Music City Rose Hot 100, and things happened from there. Can so. you find that on on Spotify? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Just look for Jenny Carr. Yep. How many albums you got on there? Two. In the 2012, and then you had one that you recorded in 2018. All right, we don't want to go there yet, but because I want to know what happened after that song came out. Well, you know, once you hit the charts and stuff, um, that's when I actually joined BMI as a BMI song singer songwriter. And because of some of the people that I knew and some of the people I'd been attached to, I started getting invited to a lot of um, BMI-sponsored events um, down in Nashville. And that was when, just by chance, when everything had kind of fallen apart and I was just kind of being forced to play solo, you know, to kind of... But it was a a great journey, though, because it really made me strip things back and kind of get back to remembering why I started doing it in the first place. When you were doing those, you were playing guitar and singing nobody else, just bare naked songs yeah. uh, out That's there. Exactly for what you. it is. Listen, yeah. yeah, word for word, you, they're going to hear what you're saying. Yeah. So did did it make you become a better guitar player? Yeah, it definitely made me become a better singer. Yeah. I think it made me become a, a better lot of things. You know, yeah. you learn a a whole different way of performing mm. when you're doing that. You ride that fine line of keeping it bare naked, like you said. Mm-hmm. And trying to make up for, you know, the sounds that aren't there that people are used to hearing. And yeah. there's, there's points you have to make it bigger. Mm-hmm. I break a lot of strings. Oh, Just that, that she does. Believe me, I get the string breaking. I get crap for well, how many strings I yeah, break. Yeah, but if you would change yours every now and then, they wouldn't. I do. Well, every, that's time, to, every time that's I break them, too. every time I break them, I change them. They don't start sounding good. They don't start sounding good until they're worn a little bit. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's why I don't even buy elixirs, man, because it looks like fuzz up and down by the time I change them. I can look at those and they break. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they feel so good on your fingers, though. They do. So good. So yeah. during this time, you probably shared the stage with some uh, pretty big people, pretty I big did. stars. Like I tall? Did. Yeah. Big Wait, people. Everybody's tall to me. <laughs> yeah. They're all about the size of the bodyguard sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> I have played with some big names. <laughs> Tell us up. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, the the very first big concert that I got to do was down at the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green. Oh, cool. And that was for Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. And at the time, what? there was only rumors that they were dating. Really? Wow. Yeah. Were they dating? It, it, the rumors were true. Totally. It was like... It was like Who'd have thought? Not even really? two weeks later, it came out. But the, the cool thing about that tour... or Breaking that, news. The cool thing about that concert, though, is is they were the opener for George Jones. So we opened for them, and they opened for George Jones. So that That was like a really, really cool cool first opening This was like Indian Outlaw days. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really? Yep. Oh, man. I don't even think... um, Is that not released yet? No, yeah, that was that okay. was out. That was what caused. This was the spontaneous combustion tour. So okay. this would have been their his second round. This would have been um, what's that refried uh, refried dreams? Is that what that song is called? Yes. Yep. That that would have been about the time that that song was okay. was hitting. Do you have any memorabilia 
Please no. tell me you got something. I don't. What? I just I have some pictures. Um, well, that's I mean, about it. I guess that know. counts. But how cool would it have been? No, Neil. There's not a, a T-shirt for it. I mean, there, there has to be a T-shirt. I have my memories. I remember it. Yes. <laughs> yes. But you know, those were pre-cell phone days before. You know, that's back true. when when people looked up and enjoyed the moment that they were in. That was like when uh, when the the disposable cameras were the thing, right? Yes, absolutely. What is it, like two-day turnaround for your film? 24-hour, man. Where are you getting your stuff uh, developed? (laughs) (laughs) By that time, it was about 10 years after you were, buddy. (laughs) The other really cool point about that story is uh, we actually got kicked out at the end of the night. We spent like all our time. Night. We spent all our time, you know, opening up and getting all that stuff done. You know, when you're the opening act, you kind of get shuttled out and got to get your equipment out of the way and all that stuff. And when we come back in from loading some stuff out, we kind of tried to make our way down to watch the show in a decent spot. Well, it was kind of a general admission. It was on the lawn behind the the Corvette Museum. Yeah, some people complained that we had walked down towards the front to get some pictures. When uh, right before George Jones had come on, and uh, we ended we ended up getting kicked out. You didn't say you know who I am. Uh, you know, no, nobody knew who I was. I didn't know who I was. I'm then. the opening <laughs> act. <laughs> I still had on my all white my my white jean vest and my white jeans and my white boots. Didn't they know who I was? I would have asked. <laughs> I, wait, I just was right there. I know. Yeah. I mean, geez. <laughs> who else? One of my favorites would have been Steve Warner because Steve Warner is like one of my heroes. Um, Joe Diffie twice, Um, Neil Mm. McCoy twice. Oh, Um, the Tanya Tucker show that never happened. There's a whole long story behind that, but we were in the newspaper, so it didn't matter. Um, (laughs) Let's see who else was there. I'm trying to think now. So not much. much, I did the no, not at all. Not at all. (laughs) You talked about Reba McIntyre. I did get to open for the uh, Reba McIntyre and the Great Women of Country. Really? When they came to Papa John's Cardinal Stadium. Oh, wow. Shut up. <laughs> Did you so, really? Hey, that was mine and Jason's first date, so he's kind of spoiled. Uh, so did, did you do something date. for um, Brad Paisley as well? Yes, Brad Paisley. Um, at the um, Back when they used to do, at the National Livestock Show, they used to do the Sale of Champions. I know they still do the Sale of Champions, but it used to be like a really big formal night afterwards, and they'd have a big, da- uh, big dance like. So actually, Brad Paisley opened for us one night. <laughs> because there was like this big ballroom, sort of. It, it, it was in, um, it was at the, what do you call it? Fair and Expo Center. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like in the South Wing, and they would have one stage set up over here and one stage set up over here. They would do like the Sale of Champions, and there would be a dance that went on, and one stage would play and one stage would play. So Brad Paisley played first, and then we played. So years later, when I actually got to meet Brad Paisley and hang out, I was like, yeah, you opened for me once. <laughs> he probably said I remember like it was yesterday I remember that. No he said oh I remember you were too loud And I said well you weren't loud enough But you were just the opening act oh. <laughs> He is I mean it, it, I don't know if you know much about Brad Paisley He is extremely quick witted I mean you have to be on your toes Or you will be under the table He's extremely fast. So, I mean, that sounds like a really snotty comment, but no. if you'd have been sitting there, I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably have to be. I mean, if you're that yes. short. <laughs> you know, so you have you to know have what? quick comebacks. I could look him in the eye. <laughs> the guy can play the guitar, though, dude. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my yes, gosh. Absolutely. I've, watching him live is incredible. Yes. 
I just watched Billy Strings live, man. I don't know. I don't know who's better. Guitar players like that are on just this different level. Billy Strings, and he's like twenty years old, though. He's right? like twenty four, probably twenty three. Yeah. I've never seen anybody play people like that. Like Tommy that. Emmanuel. I mean, you can go through the list. That's a different one. Yeah, it's a different type of guitar playing, but yeah, that's special. To be able to break down music like that and to hear stuff like that, I, I have no concept. I couldn't imagine to be able to, to break it down on a level like that. I'm just, a bar chord kind of guy. I You're, just break what? strings. Like a bar, bar chord kind of guy. Bar chord kind of guy. <laughs> Shout out to Rob Mattingly. Yes, <laughs> Rob. I wish he could have been here with us tonight. It had been really hot in here, but I wish he could have been with us. <laughs> Why is that? He, is he full of hot, hot air? Is that what you're saying? No, he has a story about bar quirks. Yeah, he, he really tells. does. It's, yeah. it's great. We have uh, multiple Robs within our group, but Rob Mattingly is the one that plays in the trio with us. Okay. He's Rob number one, and uh, he's he's amazing. He's just, uh, not only is he just a good person and a good soul, and um, I've known uh, his wife for many, many, many years, but uh, he's an amazing, good, clear, crisp country singer. Yeah, and you don't get much more pure. Yeah. We're we're so honored get, to have him. Is he a guitar player too? Yes. Absolutely, killer. Yeah. He is much better than he will give himself credit for. Yeah, we're getting, a lot. We're getting him, a lot of that yeah. in this room. He tonight, doesn't give we? himself much <laughs> credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I must run in the band. There, there's like literally sometimes <laughs> whenever he plays, I just stop playing because it is just so yes. good. It's like I I don't even want to be a part of it. It's just so good. Like, and and you know how way. good of a musician Josh is. So well, yeah. I just play it. So is it the trio at Rubby's on Wednesday? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we're going there. We're going to eat, night. eat hot wings. Okay. Chicken then, sandwiches. Then, okay. Okay. Hot wings. You got to ask for the nine one one sauce then. No. It no, will. that ain't happening. <laughs> hey, if I tried it, you can try it. I'm not doing it, it and you're not going to talk me into it. I won't go. You can smell it, <laughs> so, man, it is delicious. So Leslie is one of the cooks in the back, and she knows when she gets my ticket because it says XXXX911. You like the hot? Oh, you betcha. You can keep that to yourself. She can make them hot enough. You know what I like more than hot sauce? My taste buds. I'm keeping them, and y'all can keep that hot sauce. If you just burn them off, you can have hotter stuff. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I refuse. (laughs) That can ruin your hot wings, though. It's too hot. Well, then that's why you get the chicken Irv to bring it back down. Good Good job. He knows. The thing about Rebbies, though, is it has to have flavor. I I like hot stuff. The hotter, the better. But if it doesn't have good flavor, I'm not. I'm not into it. The Rubby's wings have the most amazing smoked flavor. I'll try the 911. I'm not scared, Neil. I'm scared. Just try the right here. Just get the sauce. Try the hot and then get 911 on the side. Uh, motor oil. They you call it motor oil. It's it's amazing. I, I don't eat motor oil, bro. <laughs> oh, you will. <laughs> no, I won't. Yes, and I you know will. I will not. Yeah, and no, I'm not like, doing it. You if, will if and you'll I eat like one, it. You're going to eat one. <laughs> This is not hot wings. This is not that podcast. <laughs> this is the wrong podcast. I am not eating 911 sauce. I will barely eat hot barbecue sauce. <laughs> I don't even eat like hot mustard. They have a sauce for you then. It's called Wimps. Yeah, I'll eat that. I'll eat that as long as it ain't hot. Then you would have the smoked wings. Smoked yep. wings are amazing too. Can now, I, I just, do remember can I just Josh saying you don't want to put sauce on them because they're so I know. good. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Brad. Do you not recall that earlier? But that's on the smoked it, wings. That's exactly well, right. Well, that's what I'm getting. Okay, you get the smoked wings. I'm oh, getting there's the smoked. two wings. Yes. Well, oh, yeah. that's the ones there's I'm smoked getting. Smoked wings and how hot would, wings. How would you fly if you I'm, didn't have two wings? I'm getting the smoked wings so I don't get any more crap. That's why I'm there getting them more than any reason. But number two, because I ain't eating your hot stuff. You can just keep that. All right? 
<laughs> but right. the the biggest thing I learned uh, about r- rubies, rubies, rubies is that it's called rubies, not rubies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear a lot of people call it rubies. I've heard that's amazing. You will start you know, calling you're gonna it call delicious. It good. Will you do me a favor and yeah. contact them tonight and see if they will sponsor the, the Top Hill recording <laughs> podcast after this episode? <laughs> Next time I come up, I will come bearing wings. <laughs> Please. You're Guaranteed. invited to the next podcast then. <laughs> See you next month. <laughs> so, Jenny, where I'm sitting, I keep looking out and seeing your guitar. Mm. Well, we don't travel lightly. Yeah. I mean, we come with a lot of baggage. <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't talked about the new album, right? Yeah. We never right. talked about 2018. Yeah. 2018. That w- so that, that might be the one that I've listened to. R- roller Coaster. I do believe. How many songs are on that? Eight? Seven. Seven. That's yeah, the one I've listened to. It's the short record. I've listened to that recently. Is that the one that has Cashville on it? It yes. is. I think with this record, I kind of wanted to branch out a little bit. I feel like sometimes as a songwriter, you limit yourself when you're writing stuff that you know you're going to sing. So I kind of tried to branch out not only as a songwriter and and write some things that I was thinking of other people singing, but then I kind of wanted to get a hold of some stuff that maybe I hadn't written and explore some different avenues. So this record's got, I think, four songs on it that out of the seven that I did not write. But they were songs that were really speaking to me at the time with uh, whatever thing was going on and the transitions between, you know, being with this band for 16 years and then being with this band for, you know, a good six years and then all of a sudden trying to figure out who I was as an artist on my own. So uh, a lot of those songs were speaking to me at that at that point in time. And then really the whole reason I, I made the record is I wrote the song Don't Miss the Memories. My dad had just uh, been diagnosed with leukemia and lots of things were going on. And all of a sudden kind of life has a way of stopping you and just smacking you in the face. And that was that moment. And I was like, OK. So that song came out and I was like, we got to we got to record it. Was that a was that a? 15 minute I gotta get it out of my system song those are those are different don't miss the memories I'm still thinking about Cashville is that one on here yeah that's the song that talks about the real story in Nashville and you wrote that one no I did not write that song no Um, kidding but what's so cool about that song is if if you're into Nashville songwriters or anything is um, Leslie Satcher was a part of writing that song and uh, that's a Huge name. She's written for Patty Loveless, Martina McBride, Trisha Yearwood. And just to have really her take on what Nashville was like for her when she moved down there, to know that, you know, first of all, some things never change. That Do you feel the lyrics? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it hit home. It was like, yes, is that, is that, that nails it. Is that a good acoustic song? I don't know, Josh, is it? <laughs> So we haven't done it in a while. Since you've recorded that record, do you, have you moved on to new stuff? Have you written new stuff? I've played around with a lot of things. Uh-huh. I have lots of half and three-quarter things here and there. I just haven't wrapped some stuff up yet, if you know what I mean. I'm, what kind of direction is it, is it sounding towards? Do you have any, is it all... Um, is it all kind of leaning towards the sound, or is it all over the place? I think my stuff's always all over the place. That's kind of where Roller Coaster came from. Yeah. It's, um, of course, anything that comes out is going to be country. Yeah. It's, it's going to have that country flair to it. But uh, I feel a lot of real grit right now, if you know yeah. what I mean. Some some real stuff, like 
riding those lines and this this might get touchy riding those lines between Christianity and the bottle maybe mm-hmm. if you know what I mean mm-hmm. I mean even what we're sitting here talking about and you know what I don't even that we're gonna get deep if we go there Let's just go. saying Let's do it. No, seriously. just saying but um yeah. but go. I think that's where the the true um heart of country music comes from mm. is those struggles between the depths and and you know the highs and the lows yeah i'm feeling that real real life you know no bs sort of grit right now do you think that the cuz I, I think that's real i mean i think i feel that the bottle in the in the bible and, and and if you look at old country music or old Johnny Cash when he was at his depths, he always talked about the Lord, but he also talked about you know taking pills on Sunday afternoon. And mm-hmm. is it because there is such a divide between that, and you feel maybe in the songwriting there's a choice, or even in life there's a choice, or that you have to choose, or there even is a choice, or is it can one not exist without the other? So the struggle is. I'm coming from a place where I want to be a better person, but it's not that what I think I'm doing is a, being a bad person, but there's this, it is real and it is a thing, but what is that thing? If I can interject on that, yeah. please. so Dude. not to get too philosophical or anything like that, but I think to answer your question, Neil, is more a question of religion in the sense where, and again, not to get too deep, but what is what does the Bible actually say, and then what has man made, quote unquote, the Bible to say? That you know, growing up, I mean, we didn't do anything. You know, all we listened to was country or Christian music. Uh, definitely no country music, anything like that. No rock, nothing. You know, I didn't start listening to quote unquote secular music till I actually met you. Mm-hmm. I know. You know it's crazy. What an influence you've been. At, at, what, at <laughs> what age? Um, I was 20. about 25. And you had never no, listened no to anything that. but religious well, music? He had to learn the songs, man. Yeah, yeah I mean, just, yeah. just simple, Real. everyday songs. I mean, I was actually older than that. We've like, been hey, about eight years. You, we're going to do Stevie Wonder, Who's Stevie Wonder? I was like, what's that? No. Yeah. yeah. That's so, real. That's real. So to answer your question, I think that that is an understanding or a misunderstanding mm-hmm. of the difference crazy thing about what you said is everything about that is all built on what you what you believe and what your faith is. It, that, and that's very true. And I think that that's um, a big misconception that people have. You know, as far as like, you know, there's a lot of Christians that believe that you cannot have an ounce of alcohol. Right. Yeah. You know, or a lot of money. You know, you know, so people can construe what the Bible says into something different. That that brings us back to the original question, though. You know, can you do one and not the other? You know, I feel that 100% you can. Know what it is that you're doing. You know, still be modest. Still be respectful to each person. Don't let yourself get so inebriated that you can't function. Because, I mean, that right there is a complete different ballgame. No. You know, but I don't feel whatsoever that... That you can't enjoy a good drink and still be a great Christian. Yeah. Yes. It is a true story of country music. Even when duets were a gigantic thing, which we talked about duets with with Andy, 
and how big they were back in the day, a lot of that was the the husband and the wife and the drinking and the fights and the struggle and this and that. And there's, you, know you lose what? your dog, your cat, your truck, <laughs> your house, your wife. It was real. It's real. It was real. It's real. And it's real, real for a reason. life. And that's it, what made it what it was is it opened the door to what was, was really going on in homes. Yes. You know, that's that's kind of where I was headed with this is that, first of all, life is hard. Yes. Life freaking sucks. You know, mm-hmm. this physical life is tough and everybody has their vice. I mean, it is what it is. That's why I was that's what it made me think of that song. Um, there's a Miranda Lambert song called Vice. Look it up. It's a good tune. She's awesome. But yes, yeah, she is. But everybody does have their vice. And there's that. That's kind of where I was headed. It's that that moment of grit and that moment of reality that you, a lot of people try to look at it as though you're riding a line between this and between that. But the truth is, is it is the line, both of them together. Life is difficult. People are going to do their things to, to wash away the difficulties of this life. When you talked about Johnny Cash, freaking difficult life. I'm yeah. like, I was, I turned 21 and- <laughs> on Tuesday, not in prison. But, <laughs> hey, but, in this but story, it can be. But that's the truth. And a lot of that is when he got a lot of his gospel influence mm-hmm. at those lowest points, at those dirty, gritty moments. Go. Those dirty, gritty moments when you're at your breaking point, when you're on your knees and you have nowhere else to go. And, and there's no reason they can't coexist. You know, because at that point, that where else do you have to turn? I think that's where country music was created. I think that's the heart of it. I think that that's where you, when you, when you have nowhere else to turn, that's where you turn. Yeah. When, because when it is real life. It is. It's the point of no return, man. You, you have no hope. Nobody believes in you. Your wife left you. Your dog uh, has run away with the neighbor. I mean, you know, it's it's <laughs> the real deal. My down. truck broke down. And, and, and the only thing I got is Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw another side out there. I hear a lot of country songs on the radio that talks about how great life is and having a good time. Well, you're talking about now. Because they're all drunk and court, cut off shorts by the creek. Yeah, you're talking I mean, about now. <laughs> I mean, there's a difference in, in country music and country music. Country radio is different than it used to be. And, and not it that is. it's not that it's worse or better. It's just different. But there were there were plenty of party songs from, from Pl- those days as well. Yeah, plenty you know? of party songs back in the day, but... Um, what about bluegrass? A lot of people get murdered in bluegrass. <laughs> a lot of people getting killed in bluegrass. A lot, a lot, a lot of primetime uh, and lifetime movies have been made out of bluegrass songs. <laughs> so there's there's that little part of me that really appreciates bluegrass. <laughs> then there's that part of me that can't deal with it long, just wants to stab it in the face and go on. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think with the with the whole thing these days is they're they're. Things are different than they used to be, and I think people are different than they used to be. So the conversation is completely different than it used to be. So the whole holier than now, and and, and everybody is exposed for who they are. It's too social media friendly. Well, even they do it themselves Mm -hmm. with Facebook and with all these things, with all these pictures and all these opinions and all the way they attack and and, or praise uh, their friends or do whatever. You are who you are. And and people expose themselves through these social media outlets. And and, and I think that that in that way, things become uh, a little bit more of, of everybody understands each other as we are who we are. Even in our worst of our worst, we all have bad opinions and make our own mistakes and do these things in, in, a, in a lot more public way 
than than we ever have. And, and with our, you know, with my kids, I worry more than ever that they will be influenced and, and changed by the way that social media has infiltrated our lives. And I mean, that's the way we broadcast and, and, and get this podcast out is through social media because we don't know any other way to do it. So it's as good as it is bad, just like anything else in the world. We do most of our business through social media, but it's all in how you let it affect you. Yeah. You know, and and I think that goes back with even the drinking and and whatever else. I mean, just because you have a good time having a few drinks at podcast doesn't mean you're a bad person or that uh, you don't love your neighbor and, and live the virtues of what the Bible preaches. So, you know, my dad always said something to me that made sense regardless uh, of belief. And it is, if you live your life like the Bible says to live your life, you're going to have a good life. You're going to have a good life. You'll be fine. If you you treat your neighbor as your brother, if you are good to people, you don't do harm to people, you accept people for who they are, you're going to have a good life. It's just a good rule to have. Have yourself love. You got to stand up for yourself. Yeah. But you always assume that others are better than you. No. And you'll you'll put yourself in perspective. No. So how does that grit come out in your songwriting? Are you considering whether you need to play Christian music or country music or lean more one way than the other? What? How's it impacting things? Or is it a life thing? Again, it's the reality thing. I, I there's no reason why you can't do both. There, there really isn't, because I think that's the inner struggle that people deal with on a regular basis, day in and day out. That's what life is. And I, again, I don't think there's any reason why you can't do both. I mean... So that's what your songs are about? Yeah, kind of right now. Mountains and valleys, I guess. Okay. <laughs> well, that's probably where the grit comes out. But, you know, there's such a close relation between country music and Christian and gospel music. A lot of that is where country came from, was exposing the fact that, what was the song, uh, Behind Closed Doors? You know what I'm talking about? Um, uh, Charlie Rich, I think, was uh, the artist on that. But it kind of opened the doors to the fact that life ain't so pretty on the inside, you know? Everybody has those struggles. I think that's what made country music so relatable to people, especially with, like, Loretta Lynn, when she was talking about, you know— all the things about him running around and drinking while she's home with the babies on her hip. Mm. That hit home to people. Uh, that was real life. Nobody talked about real life like that. So, and, and I think that's what made country music what it is. There's a podcast recently called Dolly Parton's America. I don't know if mm-hmm. did you listen to it? No, I have not yet. It's, I haven't listened to it, but my parents have told me about it's, it. Uh, it's about nine episodes. And, and I like Dolly Parton. I was always, you know, I wasn't, oh, Dollywood, whoop, whoop, none of that crap. Mm-hmm. But... The respect that I have for her now after listening to nine episodes, and it has interviews with her recently, but it if you if you listen to her story and her really break down what she wrote and why she wrote it mm-hmm. and the things that she didn't say and the reasons why she's not political and the things that her her value and her thought process on why she does the things she does and doesn't do. It's just she is such a phenomenal person, but how real her songs were is amazing because she talks about, you know, growing up on the front porch on this, you know, Sunday afternoon, Tennessee on the hills. And they actually go to the spot and they're looking at this spot. And it is she wrote word for word 
where she was at. They mm-hmm. see the description. They talk about the grass that she walked on, how it felt, how she says it felt it did, and, and how when you write a song in a detail like that, how amazing it is to transform you into those spots and to really uh, get that out in an emotion. It was mind-blowing to hear her journey and her process and to hear her now talk about that as if it was yesterday. Listen to that. If you like country music or songwriting or, or just history, it's history. Listen to that podcast because I think it was done by Radio Lab, like an offshoot, and that's one of my favorite podcasts anyway. But it, it it's really cool. Dolly Parton's America. Oh. She's authentic, you know, just like you're talking about. I mean, it, it comes funny. out in her songwriting, it comes out in her singing, and it comes out when you look at her fans. I mean, she's yeah. she has fans, strict conservative, Bible Belt, all mm-hmm. the way to liberal, you know, as you can get. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's how you gain that is by being real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People, you know, believe it or not, people aren't stupid. They they can see through you. Yeah. Well, and that's why when she had a procedure she would make fun of herself about it or talk about it or it wasn't a secret it's like because if she made it a secret then it would be an issue otherwise she's going to be the first person to say something it makes it endearing Mm -hmm. it makes you love her more because it's like oh she is so real you know yeah listen to that it becomes more of a a part of the story than a scandal yeah (laughs) so 2018 we have this the the latest release and you're tooling around with some stuff now. I was thinking about this on my my personal level today because I've got so many things that are that are like you. Three quarters are done, yeah. or halfway done, or a verse and a chorus. And the chorus is your favorite chorus you've ever written. But after that, there's nothing else I can come up with. You know, it's just how can you figure out a way? This is more for me, so maybe you can give me some like info so I can help do this on my end. What is a good way to organize those thoughts to say, here's my next thing so I can get this out? Just like the one that you had after 16 years that it's time. I've got to get this out so I can get to the next thing. Give me a process that we can get to that next level. First of all, you got to slow down. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Oh, okay, <laughs> That's okay. not what I mean. Okay. I mean, everybody, you just Talk you, slower, you have Neil. to <laughs> slow down. And literally, sometimes I get to that block because I, I can't slow down hmm. long enough to, to get over that little, that third verse or whatever I'm hmm. looking for at that moment. And, and as a songwriter that we talked a little bit earlier about a songwriter that kind of only wrote for songs that I knew I was going to sing. You hold them so close, but sometimes when you get to that block point, it's, it's a struggle, but you have to reach out. That's where you got to connect with other people and start putting that stuff out there and getting in some different groups, like writing groups. I've, I did some online writing groups heading into this 2018 album that hmm. helped a lot of things get over that hump because people just don't really meet the way they used to. Schedules don't always line up. So Some, are these like chat rooms? What, what's an online? Yeah, sometimes okay. we'll just, uh, a couple songwriters will start even just a chat group on Facebook and say, hey, I've been working on this and throw out a couple lines. We were doing it just the other day we in our group talking about some stuff like you'll have this one line that just keeps going around in your head and you can't seem to wrap the idea around it or or wrap the whole story so you throw it out and see what somebody else's take is on it 
You know, the thing about that, though, is that nobody replied after I put my input into it. You know why? You know why? I just thought of something new. You know why? Because he was bass player at that moment, man. <laughs> I was driving from we don't Stone, let our Street, bass player talk. Stone Street Road to uh, into Fairdale the other day. About three weeks ago, I sent you a text. You remember? No. You don't? I, I, well, I mean, actually uh, sent you a song lyric, lyric that came to mind. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me see here. Oh, Lord, we're breaking see out how, lyrics. Let's see how bad you all think this is. So this was in a 10-minute drive, and I started thinking about, I wanted to write this song about... The lake, right? Yeah. You know how when you're at the lake, you don't even care what time it is. You don't even look at the time. You're just having a good time, and you're relaxing. That's what I was thinking, summertime. Every time, summertime. Summertime. Floating. No, wait. That's We're we're country. Floating. Floating. There you go. Floating, boating, cooler toting. Haven't looked at a clock all day long. This weekend so right, the work week so wrong. All right, that's a start. Do you know what it sounds like yet? No. Is it a happy song or a sad song? It's a happy song, man. Here's We're at the lake, so, well, so let me I think. Let me, let me tell you what I was thinking after this. So I sent it to you. Then I was thinking, okay, this weekend's so right, this work week so wrong. I didn't like throwing that negative last line in there. So it needs another positive last line. Work week could have been better. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm just a bass player. I'm not a lyricist. <laughs> all right, we'll put that out for suggestions to you guys, all the listeners. So, so you all you thanks in that uh, writers. tophillrecording at gmail.com with your lyric suggestions. Are lighting up. I could tell my first, my first email is going to be scratch it and start over. <laughs> like, not. nope, work too hard on that. If it's from me, ignore it. Yeah, I like it. We can we can work with that, buddy. We just need a good beat and a bass line. Okay, so uh, Maybe we got to get some live music here to, yeah, to close this show. Okay, Come break on, time. you ready? All right, let's do it. Let's break, break and do some tuning. Wait, wait. Before we even break to that, thank you for again for coming up, doing this, walking wow. us through everything. Yeah. Um, do you have anything coming up other than your your uh, Wednesdays at Rubby's? What do we have spectators you got? coming up, I know, April 3rd. Spectators, I believe we have uh, Hideaway Pizza coming Hideaway up. Hideaway Pizza's When's coming that? back. This podcast will be published. Uh, He's closing his eyes and thinking. 27th, March 27th. Okay, so April okay. 3rd is Spectators. Yes. Um, then the first Wednesday of every month, we're at uh, Rubby's. I know we have a hideaway pe- hideout pizza coming. We're looking it up, and, um, and, and. I know we're working on some stuff for Have You Park. Check us out on Facebook. Just go to Jenny Car Music. All right, there we go. Watch the events. Click like. Do you got uh, Twitter or anything else, Instagram, yeah, any of we, that stuff? Yeah, we twit, we Insta, we do all that. Jenny Carr. It's all at Jenny Carr. <laughs> right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, also, JennyCar.com. Uh, we try to keep everything pretty much updated and, and posted. So Check out stuff on Spotify. Absolutely. Two albums. Amazon, iTunes, awesome. TouchTunes, Jukeboxes. Yeah. What was the last well, Thanks thing? for joining us, Jenny. Yeah, thank you for coming. No, so we are going us. to take a little break and set up and get, get, some, uh, get some songs going here. Josh yeah. is going to yell a date in about three. Hey, Josh, thank two. you too, bodyguard. Thanks for having me. And bass player and sax player and accordion player. Security and guard. Keyboard player. And, and uh, whatever else you do. Yeah. I want to see the saxophone at my next Johnstone show. Yes. Well, you know, interesting so fact on that. I, but my saxophone teacher was actually, um, he has a Netflix documentary on him right now uh, with Muscle Shoals horns. And, muscle um, Shoals again. Muscle with the Muscle Shoals. Shoals. Again. He, um, he was one of the original 
founding members of it. Played with Elvis of Presley. Of Shows? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, played with Elvis Presley, Elton John, Three Dog Night, The Beatles, uh, John Lennon, Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> Aretha, basically everybody. You know, he's he's been on over. I think it was over four hundred albums, is what he's been on. What's his name? Wow. His name is Ron Eads. He recently moved back down to Louisiana, but Eads, E-A-D-E-S. E-A-D-E-S. And he was your saxophone teacher. He was. The first uh, lesson I had. I, I hear. My, I I feel a foreigner tune coming into the Johnstone set. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the first practice I had with him, I put my saxophone together. He's like, "What are you doing?" I said, well, "Put my horn together." He's like, "Put that thing back away. You don't need that." And all we did for the first, I think it was like five or six lessons. All we did was work on breathing technique, mm-hmm. and that was it. Fixed all my squeaking though. And you still kept playing. <laughs> 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 All right, guys, we'll be back. Mary was a little girl in the summer of 63. She had her whole life ahead of her, and she knew what she wanted to be. Everything happens for a reason, so they say. Okay, we got everything set up. What we did is we took Neil's podcast set up and made that Jenny's vocal mic. And we took Jenny's vocal mic and made it a little ambient room mic. And then we've got Josh's podcast mic on the guitar. So we've got uh, three microphones in the podcast room here, and these guys are going to entertain us a little bit. What are we going to hear, guys? I guess we're going to do the mark. The mark, okay. Here we go. This is uh this is off the second record, so this is off the twenty eighteen album. All right, the mark. All right, here we go. Her daddy left a mark on the side of her cheek. He blame it on the whiskey. Either way, she's gonna have it forever She can't leave it behind In a little truck stop in a bathroom stall Here's the key to make sure all the world was clear That he was here And I guess each of us in one way or another They called him names He didn't 
fit in and he wasn't the same and he couldn't cope. So he left alone. And I guess each of us, in one way or another, we go through life just trying to make a spark. But in the end, it's one way or the Might have been our favorite. That's, that one's that's definitely. Like, I love that one. Definitely I know it's Josh's favorite. favorite. That's a good one. Yeah. That is my favorite. Thank you. Well, I've cussed on a Sunday, and I've cheated, and I've lied, and I've fallen down from grace a few too many times. But I find holy redemption When I put this car in drive I roll the windows down And turn up the dial Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? It feels like the Holy Ghost are running through ya When they plan it how film And I find my soul revival Singing every single verse Old Hank reads a sermon And Cash leads a choir It gets my cold, cold heart burning Hotter than a ring of fire When this wonderful world gets heavy And I need to find my escape I just keep the wheels rolling Radio scrolling Till my sins wash away Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? It feels like the Holy Ghost are running through you When they play that IWFM And I find my soul revival Singing every single verse and Yeah, I guess that's my church 
Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? It feels like the Holy Ghost are running through ya. Oh, when they play that AFM, and I find my soul revival, singing every single verse. Thank you guys, man. Thank you. See everybody next week.